This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. The book of Ruth is perhaps my favorite book in all of the Old Testament. Even today, it is studied as one of the most beautiful narratives in all of ancient literature. It's a brilliant love story with an even more marvelous message. Now, if you haven't done so yet, let me encourage you to watch the video overview for this book. You can access the video inside of our one-story reading plan on our Church Center app. I'll also post the link to the video in the show notes for today's episode. Now, as the curtain opens on this love story, we are left staring at painful irony and agonizing tragedy square in the face. I'm so thankful that the Bible is not a book that doesn't address the tragedies of life. It, it I'm glad it doesn't glaze over the pain of the characters in it. What we have before us today is raw and honest, and it paints a powerful lesson for us to uncover in bold colors. Look with me, if you would, please, in verses 16 and 17 of Ruth chapter 1 today. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and I. Now, the book of Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges, likely sometime between Judges chapter 3 and Judges chapter 4. This is a time of upheaval, if you'll remember. The last verse in the book of Judges says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You'll recall the pattern of the Judges that is seen over and over, how that the children of Israel would turn from God to serve idols, and God would send judgment through a neighboring nation to punish them. They would then turn back to God in repentance, and God would send a judge to deliver them. Now, this process or cycle happens over and over and over again. Now, when you study the Bible, one of the keys to determining the priority of a passage in the scriptures is the pace of the narrative. How much time elapses during the record? For example, the book of Judges lasts between three and four hundred years. But the text of Ruth, in contrast, covers about six to eight weeks meaning that buried in this story are powerful truths that we're meant to slow down and consider, rich truths that affect the trajectory of the Old Testament. So let's dive into this beautiful story together. The story begins with a famine in the land of Israel. Now, right from the start, we see the irony here. The very name of this city that we're introduced to is Bethlehem. That name means house of bread. And now, because of the sins of the people, there was no bread in the house of bread. Sin had robbed them of their sustenance. 
and they find themselves in the midst of a famine. Now, the land of Palestine was primarily desert. It didn't have rivers flowing through it like the land of Egypt did. So it was entirely dependent on the rains for the growth of the crops. It wasn't like you could go to Walmart and buy vegetables. No, they had to be grown. But if there was no rain, there was no crops. And if there was no crops, there was no food. Hence, the famine. The physical famine, though, was an illustration of the spiritual famine. The children of Israel had chased after other gods, something that Moses and Joshua both begged them not to do. And as a result, God had withheld the rain, which meant that there was no food. This is exactly what God said he would do in the book of Leviticus. And so we learn of a man named Elimelech. And rather than repenting of Israel's sin, they are intending on continuing to worship the Baals. And so Elimelech leads his family into the neighboring country of Moab rather than staying there in the land of promise. Now, Elimelech's name means God is king. And if he really believed that God is indeed king, he more likely should have stayed there in the land of promise because God's word was clear. But see what's happening here. Here's a man named God is king is choosing to leave the land of bread because there's no bread in the land because of the sin of the people. And he's moving to Moab some 30 miles away. But it might as well have been 300 miles away from the presence of God. Moab was the name of the child that was born to Lot due to his incestuous relationship with his daughter. Now remember, Lot is the perfect picture of backsliding. He was close to God's people, decided to chase after the good lands instead, and walked away. He refused the angel's call to leave Sodom, and as he left, his wife became a pillar of salt. And every time we leave the land of blessing, of the promised land, for the deserts of backsliding, we're on the same road to destruction. For therein, Moab, we move from irony to tragedy. Verse 1 says that Elimelech sojourned in the land of the country of Moab. Now, he had no intentions of staying there. It was a detour. So often in our lives, rather than recognizing God's chastening, we would rather avoid it altogether and make our own way, sojourning in a foreign land. But when we do this, tragedy is just around the corner. Elimelech had two sons named Malon, which means sickly, and Chilion, which means pining. The family settled down there in Moab, and the two boys marry Moabite women. This was expressly forbidden. The one thing that Moses and Joshua both pleaded for them not to do was marry and intermarry with the other nations. But then tragedy comes. Death comes calling. And Elimelech, for some reason, passes away. Now he'd only intended to sojourn here. But sin is like that. When you decide you'll stay for just a little while, you end up staying a lot longer than you anticipated. And those around you pay the price. As the old adage says, sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. So now in the space of about 10 years, Naomi, his wife, has lost her husband and her two sons. 
and these three widows are left alone in a foreign land. In those days, it was expected that children would care for their aging parents and in-laws. The problem was, her children were dead too. Now, I don't even have the words to describe the pain of Naomi's heart after having lost their home, lost her husband, and lost her two sons. We can almost sense the pain and the grief that is here in this story. And in verse 7, we learn that God is calling her home because she hears in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and again given them bread. God is sovereignly turning the plight of Naomi, and yet she doesn't even see it yet. Brokenhearted, Naomi decides to go home. She stops, many believe, at the border of Moab, and she tries to convince these Moabite girls to go back home. Naomi thought that their lives would be much better back in their home country, and likely in human terms, it would have been. You see, Naomi had no other children, and there were laws about marriage back in her home country. See, if a man died, it would be the brother's responsibility to marry the, the widowed woman to continue the line. The continuation of the family line was absolutely paramount in Jewish family life. But in the case of Orpah and Ruth, the two widowed daughter-in-laws, there was no brothers for them to marry. So Naomi, for them to have been married, Naomi would have had to have had gotten married, had another child, waited for that child to grow up, and then they were to marry these girls. It was also expressly forbidden in Jewish culture for Jewish men to marry anyone other than Jewish women. That's what got them in this trouble in the first place, remember? So they really had no hope of marriage at all. Naomi said, the only way for you to get married is if I had a husband, we conceived tonight, we married, and we had children, and these boys then grow up, and then you married them. I just got to tell you, that ain't going to happen. So turn back. That's what the Jewish law required. Now, all three of these ladies are dealing with their own set of pain. They had all lost their husbands. They all were facing a difficult journey. They all were leaving behind everything familiar. All three of them were facing being widows for the rest of their life. They all had fear. They all had sorrow. They all had questions. But in each of these women, we see three different ways to deal with our pain. The first and most natural response is to turn back. Orpah, though she followed Naomi to the border of Moab and Israel, returned back to her people and her gods. Well, Orpah's name means to stiffen your neck. She was stubborn. She turned back to the things of her gods. This is, this is heartbreaking. Orpah started back to Bethlehem with Naomi. She experienced all the same pain and all the same grief. And yet when the time came to make a decision to see a turn in her life, she just couldn't leave the past behind. She went to the very edge of blessing, the exact border of Israel and Moab, and returned back to what was familiar, back to her old friends, back to her old life, back to her old family, and back to her old gods. I can't tell you how many times I've seen individuals start a new life in Christ, head for a new journey, and they're doing great. And then the pain that so inevitably comes throws them off course. 
they're fair weather friends. They get bruised, and the allure of something familiar is easier to take than the fear of the unknown. They get stuck where they are. They can't move to the land of promise in their life. They become paralyzed by fear of the future. They long for what is familiar, their old life, their old friends, and yes, even their old gods. You see, the gods of Orpah were Molech and Chemosh, but your gods may be the old idols or the old habits of your life. It may be that old set of friends, or it may be some, that, some temptation that continues to call your name. It may be your past. Regardless of what it is, the sad truth is how Orpah dealt with the pain that she felt was she chose to live in it, to stagger around in the plains of Moab, stiffening her neck. God had visited his people in Bethlehem. But when these women came to the border, the familiar trumped the fear of the unknown. They are left wandering in the plains of Moab, and we never hear of Orpah again. We don't know whether she makes it home. We don't know if she ever marries again. The last we see of her is her wandering in her sorrow in the plains of Moab, heading back to her old life. Sadly, there are more Christians who live here than I would care to admit. They aren't headed anywhere. They aren't headed toward the bread of Bethlehem. They're meandering around in the plains of Moab. The second way to deal with the pain in your life is the way that Naomi dealt with it. I mean, it wasn't her fault that she was in Moab in the first place. It was her husband Elimelech's. In that culture, women had virtually no say-so. They were expected to follow the, the leading of their husband. She was really the victim here. She followed her husband and had experienced nothing but tragedy. But all of that tragedy had burned in her a spirit of bitterness that she couldn't escape. She was convinced that the Lord was against her. Ruth 1.13 says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. When we face the pain of our life, it can feel that way, that the Lord is against us. So the two of them went on together, and they came to Bethlehem, verse 19. And when they came to that town, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Bitterness is anger that forgot where it came from. Elaine de Bottom says. How many of us have felt the sting of pain and transformed it into the ache of bitterness? The real tragedy of bitterness is that we trade the joy of what we have for the pain of what we lost. Naomi was bitter, but look back at what she said, what she had. She'd come home. God had brought her safely back into her homeland. And what's more, look at the gift she had in Ruth. Here's a woman who chose to return to her, not to leave her. Ruth knew what she was facing, facing certain widowhood. She knew she was going into a strange land with different customs, yet she chose to return. John Piper says that Naomi was so weary with the night of adversity that she couldn't see the dawn of rejoicing. But that's what bitterness does. Bitterness makes us so consumed with our own pain that we fail to see what God is doing 
and we failed to see the God who broke the famine and provided a way back home. She was unable to see that God had given her a gift in Ruth. She failed to see that she had been returned back at the beginning of the barley harvest. All she could see was her pain. We can turn back. We can grow bitter. Or we can do as Ruth did. Remain faithful. Ruth's name means satisfied companion. She understood that she was just along for the ride and that ultimately her life was in God's hands. She was totally content and faithful amid the pain that she felt. God, give us some people who no matter what type of pain they encounter, decide to walk with God. It's difficult to fathom this type of companionship because we often care too deeply for these earthly temporal things. How much we care about these things is revealed by how painful they are to let go of. She was willing to live wherever Naomi lived. This shows the communion between her and her mother-in-law. The most important thing to her was not where she lived, but who she was with. Ruth recognized that she had a new community and new people. She valued those new people. She had new friends, new people she could lean on, rely on, walk with. There's nothing like that kind of community of faith that can strengthen us in the middle of pain. The only thing worse than experiencing pain is experiencing pain alone. They had felt the pain of being alone and destitute. I thank God that amid the pain that we feel, God brings people into our life that become family. A people around us who can pray, encourage, and support us amid the pain of this life. That's what church community is designed to be. Ultimately, we'll all feel pain in our life. There will always be pain that we have to go through. But how we deal with it is what's most important. That's the truth I want to leave you with today. You'll always have pain that you go through. But how you deal with it is up to you. Will you be bruised, stiffening your neck and turning back to what is familiar? Will you run from the fear of the unknown and spend the rest of your days meandering in Moab? Will you be bitter, trading the joy of what you have for the pain of what you don't? Or will you be beautiful, find the joy of companionship, of communion, and of community? The choice in how you deal with your pain is really up to you. Let's pray together. God, help us to realize that pain is part of our journey and help us to deal with it beautifully and not bitterly. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.